We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hour two here of Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. We're talking draft. We're talking the NFL. We're talking Ravens. We're talking Chiefs. So why not bring in Matt Verderam of Fan Sided here to join me to talk a little Chiefs and talk about this trade that went down yesterday. But first and foremost, Matt, uh, good afternoon to you, man. Thank you for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure having you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Well, I wanted to bring you on because I thought it was fitting to uh, to talk about this trade that sort of snuck up on me, at least yesterday. We were on air doing our mock draft yesterday, and kind of right before we kicked off and got on uh, got on air, the, the trade between the, the Ravens and the Chiefs, and Orlando Brown heads over to the Kansas City Chiefs in exchange for uh, the 31st overall pick the Ravens will now uh, have in this upcoming draft on, uh, on Thursday night, and uh, a couple of other picks as well. Overall, when you looked at this trade... Uh, as the details sort of trickled through a couple minutes afterwards, what were your original thoughts um, when you saw the trade? I think obviously you and I would probably agree it's a home run for Kansas City. Kansas City now takes care of their left tackle position long term. I actually, Matt, think it was a smarter and better terms of value than going out and signing Trent Williams for whatever they ultimately, I think $120 million or some kind of crazy number that he ultimately signed in San Francisco for. I think they end up with a player with a... I think a longer-term future um, there in Kansas City, and probably um, longer a, a longer window of top-end tier play. So, what, what's your overall thoughts about the trade, and, and and maybe from both perspectives? So, my first thought was, how the heck did Kansas City also get a second round pick? My thought as well. Like, <laughs> I, I was stunned by. In fact, actually, when I saw this, when I saw Adam Schefter tweeted out, I texted a source right away um, who had knowledge of the trade and said, "Are these the correct terms?" I just thought, I mean, as great as Adam is, I thought maybe there was just an error. He just he had a typo. And they said, no, that's, that's correct. That's what it is. Okay. Um, look, I, I think, you know, ultimately, depending on what value chart you use, the Chiefs basically gave up either a late first or a mid-round, you know, second-round pick um, for Brown. He's a two-time Pro Bowler. He's 24 years old. He had 800 snaps at left tackle last year. He didn't give up a sack. He didn't give up a quarterback hit. Um, if you're Baltimore – my opinion is if you're going to trade him, then you need to be trading him to a team that, A, can't hurt you. And if you're going to right. trade him to a team that can hurt you, then they need to overwhelmingly pay out the nose. Like, you you can't just walk away and say, well, it was the best deal. Well, then the best deal shouldn't have happened. Matt, I think – I'm sorry to interrupt you. Like, I, if you go back a couple of years with the Bills, 
Do you not feel like the Bills got more for Cordy Glenn than the Ravens got for Orlando Brown? I think that was a far better deal yeah. for Buffalo. I think it's a, yeah, and, and I, I just look at it and say, if you're Baltimore, like, the, all, the other alternative is they didn't have to trade him. They That's could right. have just said, look, you're, you're going to play the last year's rookie. Which, by the way, according to my sources, he's going to play on this year in Kansas City. They're not going to give him an extension immediately. So they could have just said, you're going to play this last year. You're going to play right tackle and deal with it. And then you know what? We still have leverage because we can franchise tag. Yep. Which he is worth a franchise tag. Like if, if this if he's a good year in Kansas City and they can't come to terms right away, they'll just tag him. Yep. So financially, it's not as though by going to Kansas City, Brown is getting this incredible deal. I think the Chiefs will eventually pay him long term. But Kansas City can take this year by year for at least two years. And Baltimore could have done the same thing. And I get it. You could say, well, he wasn't happy. Well, a lot of guys in NFL aren't happy. <laughs> Like, it's, it's not like everybody's got to be thrilled to death with every single little thing. So, look, I thought you're Baltimore. If you're going to trade into the Chiefs and fix their easily their biggest need, then you need to make them pay an astronomical price. Yep. And I, I don't think they did it. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. And the immediately, the Cordy Glenn trade popped up to me because essentially they used Cordy Glenn as a pawn piece to move up in that draft. And... If yep. you're going to trade Orlando Brown, like that's what I'm thinking. Like if you're if you're the Ravens sitting at 27 and you're saying to yourself, "Man, I just don't know if Rashad Bateman's getting here. I don't know if one of these top four receivers are here. We don't love the idea of adding Elijah Moore into this offense because we feel it's a little redundant with Hollywood Brown. Let's use Orlando Brown to move into the top 15. Now that's a trade that I think makes a lot of sense to me. But moving and getting yourself back into the end of that round. The Ravens now have given themselves an opportunity to put two fifth-year options on the table, which I think is always good if you can try to stack those. Having right. said that, at 27 and 31, Matt, unless they're going to bundle those up and try to move up, it just feels like they missed an opportunity to try to move up in this draft to secure maybe one of the top three or four receivers by basically saying, we'll just accept the 31st pick, which is later than their other pick. It just from Just from a pure asset shift and in, in moving assets around the yeah. fact that they gave up that additional second and they only end up with the 31st overall pick it just it, it was a little baffling to me that the Ravens didn't because they I think I agree with you I think they could have asked for a lot more and probably could have gotten it from Kansas City if I were Eric DaCosta I would have said look instead of all these picks like the third and the fourth because in reality it's almost like a fourth and the fifth for Kansas City so I would have said instead of those picks give me Nicole Hartman like, give me, give me somebody who can help our offense because we have no receivers. I mean, they signed Sammy Watkins, which is fine when he's healthy. I mean, everybody in Buffalo knows about Sammy Watkins. If he's healthy, he's good, but he's not healthy very often. So, like, if, if I were the Ravens, I would say, look, you, you keep your fourth-round pick and next year's fifth-round right. pick. Give, keep all those picks other than your first-round pick. Give, give us McCall Hart. Like, give us somebody who's young and who can develop. No, I don't know if Chiefs would have done that. But I at least would have asked for it. I would have tried. Um, I just think in that situation, like, if you're Baltimore, right? Like, to me, they entered yesterday anyway. We're the third best team in the AFC behind Kansas City and Buffalo. The whole point is to win the Super Bowl. Like, going 10 and well now, 10 and 7 or 11 and 6, who cares? It doesn't matter. They've gotten to the playoffs the last three years. They've gone nowhere in the playoffs. They scored three points in Buffalo last year. Like, to me... Trading Orlando Brown is certainly not helping that cause. And, and then, on top of that, you help the team that you're chasing the most. Yeah. Like, you, you not only got worse, you're helping the other team get exponentially 
better. So I just, to me, I just think Baltimore would have been far better off just putting their hands in their pockets at that point and saying, okay, fine, we'll just play it out. Matt Verderam here of Fansided. He joins me on the Western Hotline. We're uh, starting our conversation talking a little bit about this trade that went down yesterday between the Chiefs and the Ravens. And that's sort of the layer of this, Matt, that I think maybe makes the least amount of sense. Is I was talking with my with Sal Capaccio here of WGR this morning, and we were talking about, you know, if the, if the board sort of plays out like our mock draft played out yesterday, which is basically the Bills aren't in a really great position to really get anything that they were looking to potentially get at 30, which is a, a scenario I think could very well happen. Well, maybe you then consider trading back, and maybe there's a team, right. I was thinking like Washington or New England, who maybe don't secure that quarterback in the first round that say, I really love David Mills, or I really love Kellen Mond or Kyle Trask, and we're going to move back into the end of the first round to go get that guy so we can secure that fifth-year option, right? Like, that could be an that could be an opportunity. And Sal basically said, no way, you don't trade with New England for an opportunity, even if you don't like David Mills and you know that's who they're going to take. You don't give them a an opportunity to, to swing at a franchise quarterback. You don't even allow it to happen. And although they're not division foes, you can make, listen, if you want to say the Bills are ahead of the Ravens, I think it's really close. I think you can probably sell me in either direction. It's the point of the team that you have to get over the top. The mountaintop is Kansas City. And I would be beside myself to watch the Bills trade any piece, whether it was consequential or not, even if it was a depth player, saying you're going to help them be better seems like a really weird proposition considering the Ravens are damn close. And last year, they looked to take a step forward from the year past, too. Like, I thought the Ravens got better last year, even though they weren't as explosive on offense. So, like, I don't know, man, from the... Just from the competitive balance perspective, it makes doesn't make a lick of sense to me. First of all, I, look, I, I think the Bills at this point, like as someone who's followed Kansas City my entire life, I mean, growing up as a fan, even though I grew up actually in New York, I, I grew up as a Chiefs fan in the, in the 90s. And so uh, now that I cover the league, look, I'll, I'll always have a you know, soft spot for them. I think the reality is with Kansas City, the only team that I look at in the AFC and think if the Chiefs don't play their best game, they can lose to them is Buffalo. Uh, Baltimore's not beating the Chiefs ever. They can't throw the ball. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. I got. I don't care what Baltimore does. First of all, Baltimore blitzes like crazy, and against the Chiefs, that's just that's instant death. If you blitz them, it, they're just begging for Mahomes to throw for 400 yards. Buffalo has the quarterback that could go into a game with him and do it. Now, now they they haven't done it yet. I know the AFC title game got away from the Bills or anything else. The, the Bills have a lot of talent. And to me, by the way, if I'm Buffalo in the first round of this draft, if there's an edge rusher that they like. I'm paying a price to get him. Yeah, I agree. That everybody talks about. Well, they need a running back. Well, you can get a running back in the third round. They don't. I mean, NTN or Najee Harris. That's all fine and good. The Bills aren't beating Kansas City because they have a running back. Mm-hmm. The Bills need to get a, a, an edge rusher who can get pressure, especially now, especially after yesterday. Like the Bills have to go out and upgrade. Like if I were Buffalo, if I were Brandon Bean, who by the way I think he's done a phenomenal job with them. I would go out and ask Justin Houston, hey, what, what's your price for a one-year deal? You guys had 20 sacks over the last two years. Like, I would, I would call him and say, what's your price? And then I would also double back. I'd ask Melvin Ingram what yeah. his price is. I would, I'd go into the first round, and I'd sign an edge like, or I'd draft an edge rusher. To me, the Bills need help on the edge. And if they can get that, they become a much bigger threat. I think Baltimore, you know, we talked about how them taking a step forward last year, and I would tend to agree, but now they've lost in Gawkway, they've lost Judon, they traded away Orlando Brown. It's really hard to make the case that Baltimore is going to be as good next year. Unless you just think their their rookie class is going to be incredible. It's really hard to look at them and say, yeah, they're, they're 
going to go to the Super Bowl. I just, I just don't see that unless Jackson takes a leap that I don't think many people think he will in the passing game. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of where I wanted to, what I want to ask you about Baltimore here is, you know, I, I think they're in a position now if they want to use those picks, package them up and trade up. I think they've got the tools to, you know, to get up in the top 15, top 16 picks. Yeah. Um, and if they're able to do that, I, I mean, what do you believe? I, I just I, I would be shocked if Jalen Waddle is there at 15, 16. I think that's a little too high for him. But I don't want to say that like a Devontae Smith or Rashad Bateman being there is totally out of the question. So if let's say right now, Matt, the Ravens, they leave this draft next Thursday in the first round with let's use let's do Rashad Bateman. I like him a lot. I think he could really kind of go anywhere from like 12 to 28. Like I think there's a really wide range for him. I think teams I think more teams like him higher than maybe a lot of mock drafters are even giving him credit for. But let's say they walk away with Rashad Bateman. What do you believe that does with Sammy Watkins and some of the other pieces, obviously Mark Andrews and do you believe that makes them legitimate, or do you believe you could throw Julio Jones in that offense right now, and it wouldn't matter because the volume in which they pass wouldn't get any receiver or allow all three of those receivers to be involved enough to really have an impact? Yeah, so I'll answer it this way, because I've written this a few times. Like, this offseason, I expect Josh Allen to get a mega extension. I just I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. He's been great. He's proven he can win the playoffs. He had, he had an MVP caliber year last season. Like to me, if, if he talks, if he sits down with Brandon Bean, he says, "Look, I want forty-two million dollars a year." I think the Bills just pick. Okay, that seems seems about fair. Um, and I think you know maybe it's forty something like that. But I think that if you're the Bills, even though he's only had one great year, he he did some stuff last year. The things I think he's going to repeat, and I think you make that move. If you're the Ravens, and Lamar Jackson sits down with you and says, "I want forty million dollars a year for the next yeah. five years," yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying you're not going to do it. Because I've reached out to a ton of league sources on this over the last handful of months and said, what would you do? And most people say basically, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I would wince and I'd pay him. And I, I think they will. I think they will pay him. But your reaction is kind of the reaction I've gotten from everybody I've asked around the league. Like, hey, you're an agent. Hey, you're a GM. You're a pro personnel director. Like, what would you do? And the thought process is I'd be terrified, but I'd probably pay him. And look, he's, he's a great kid. He's gotten better. He's obviously electric just from an athletic standpoint. He's got a big enough arm. But when you watch the way they play, when he has to just drop back and throw the ball, they struggle immensely to move the football. And I just look at them and say, they could add Bateman or Kadarius Toney or Elijah Moore, whoever you want to throw in there. But if he doesn't become a better passer outside the numbers – I don't know that it really matters. Like, would it make him a little bit better? Sure. I mean, you'd rather throw to one of those guys maybe than, like, Willie Sneed. Sure, yeah. But do I think, like, that elevates them? Because to me, they'll they'll win in the regular season because they're really well coached and they're a weird team to defend and they're talented enough and they they, they kill bad teams. They always have to stack in there. They'll win enough games just in that matter. But when you get to the playoffs and it's Buffalo and it's Kansas City, you're playing against teams that they're going to throw the ball, they're going to get chunk yards, and they're going to score. And he, he's going to have to be able to lead the offense that scores 30 points. And if they can't do it, they're just not going to win. And they're not going to be able to do it by running the ball 60 times. That's where I, I just have a stumbling block. I cannot get past the ball. National NFL reporter for Fansided and Stacking the Box podcast host Matt Verderem here on the West Her Hotline. Matt, 
I want to move away from Baltimore and ask you if you so knowing the conversation we just had that I that I and I agree with you that I think talent wise overall especially defensively which was sort of their claim to fame I think Calais Campbell's a year older which you know that window is shrinking on his ability to play at a really high level I think defensively they take a step back, and I think offensively without Orlando Brown and whoever they're going to slot in, I think they're also worse there. So if we think, and I agree with you, that that Baltimore ultimately takes a step back, and maybe that's into Tier 2, who's the team that you believe maybe steps up in place? It could, and, and I think Cleveland, could. you could make a case that that team's, I think maybe the obvious choice is Cleveland. The one I might argue is maybe the Chargers, but I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on maybe who steps in to that Maybe the, the 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 next team that is most going to compete with the Bills and Chiefs for the top of the AFC. Yep. I love the Chargers as a sleeper pick because Herbert's fantastic, and I think they've had a really smart offseason. They fixed up that offensive line. They still need to do more, but I think they will in the draft. I think they're a team that I could see Christian Darrishaw going there in the first round, or even Rashawn Slater if he somehow gets there. Um, the, the the problem I have with the Chargers is first time head coach, guy who's been in the league for four years. Doesn't mean he's not going to be a good coach, but that is. That's a big leap for me, for him to come in there, run that show. They lost some pieces defensively, Melvin Ingram, who they could retain, obviously still out there, Casey Hayward, Denzel Perriman. The problem also with the Chargers is they're in the division with Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So unless you just think they're going to go out of their minds this year, at best they're going to be a wildcard team on the road. To me, the team is Cleveland. I think Cleveland at this point is the best team in that division. I don't know that I even think it's really that close. Uh, Pittsburgh, to me, Roethlisberger is just done. We yep. saw that the second half of last year. He fell off. They lost a ton of guys this last season. Baltimore, I think, will give Cleveland somewhat of a run. But I think, you know, the Browns finally found a coach in Kevin Stefanski. They have a great offensive line. They have weapons. They can run the ball. They can throw. I'm not a huge Baker Mayfield guy. I think he's an average quarterback. I think he's basically going to be Derek Carr. But you can win games yep. if, if you're Derek Carr if the team around him is good. I like that they defensively, I'm not a huge clowny guy, but but bringing him in at least gives you something else on the edge. I do think that is the Achilles heel for them. They do have to get better defensively, although John Johnson coming in, Troy Hill from the Rams, that'll help the secondary. So, And they get Grant Delta back, who, who was their second-round pick at LSU, the safety, towards ACL last year. So I, I like the Browns. I thought the Browns, you know, winning a playoff game, getting that monkey off their back, you know, they went to Kansas City, and okay, look, they were they were getting beat somewhat handily, and then Mahomes got hurt and it became a game. But I think Cleveland's that, that team that could be a third team that on divisional round weekend is interesting, and you're not just saying, oh, well, that, that they have no chance. I, I think I think they make a lot of sense. Tennessee, to me, is the other one to maybe look at, but I don't love their offseason. Yeah, they, me they either, man. They lost a lot off that offense. And to me, I, I, I like Bud Dupree and Danico Walker. I think they're both good players, but they lost their whole secondary. So I... I think Tennessee's kind of like Indy. Like, they're okay. If you catch them on the wrong day, they can be a problem, but I don't think they have as much juice as Kansas City, as Buffalo, and as Cleveland. Yeah, and I was wondering kind of what your overall thoughts are of what <sighs> – what Carson Wentz means for Indianapolis. I, I, I'll i say this. I was surprised to see that Phillip Rivers – I thought actually played pretty well at times last year. I thought he played maybe the best game I saw Phillip Rivers play in about three or four years in that wildcard matchup against the Bills. He was – you know, tossing up ducks, but they were very accurate ducks, and they were going. It was what yeah. it reminded me of is sort of like 
Tom Glavin getting up to the, up, up on the mound and throwing 88-mile-per-hour fastballs that were just befuddling guys because they're used to hitting 95, 100-mile-per-hour fastballs, right? It was It's what it felt like. It felt like the timing of the defense was off. The, it, the ball would be in the air for five, six seconds, um, but it worked for them. But I, it was very clear he was shot and he was done. So knowing that they were able to get to the wild card round, they had, I think, pretty legitimate success through the air with a guy whose arm was really at the wit's end of his career. Does Carson Wentz move the needle at all for you with that Indianapolis team? Do you believe they're even marginally better? I think there's, it's possible that they're marginally better. But look, I, I think, you know, when he got moved, it seems like the national general consensus was, oh, this is a huge move for Indianapolis. They made a big move. The Eagles are willingly eating $34 million this year to not have Carson Wentz on the game. I mean, that's, that's how bad he was. That's how bad he was last year. Like, I, I did these quarterback rankings every week at Fantide that I spent way too much time on. And I really had a hard time last year being like, well, who's the worst quarterback that's a typical starter in the league? Is it Carson Wentz or is it Drew Locke? You could really go either <laughs> way. Now, does being with Frank Wright, does, does he just fix it? Does it all get better? Maybe. I mean, I think Wright is an excellent coach, so it's, it's possible. I think he will be better than he was last year. But to me... Better than he was last year is a really low bar, yeah. right? Like, I, I think that they are still a team that will compete for the division. But I think in the end, I think they're about with you know, a nine and eight, ten and seven team. Like, they still don't have weapons that scare you. Jonathan Taylor's great, but their receivers are T.Y. Hilton, who is who's good but aging, and Michael Pittman, who I do like, but still has to take that jump. We'll see if he can do it in the second year. The Colts are just. That whole division, honestly, I look at the Colts and the Titans and kind of see teams. Oh, you can win nine or ten games. You can, you know, be be a little bit of a thorn in the side to somebody in a playoff game. The thing that will help those two teams is they have Jacksonville and Houston for four games. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I mean, you, you got to think they're going to go four and zero in those games. But look, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how Indy can try to get Wentz back on track. Uh, Matt, last thing I'm going to ask you here is, which has sort of been the theme in the last few weeks when I've had guests on to talk about the draft. Number three pick. Uh, I actually had the the pleasure uh, yesterday in our mock draft of getting the opportunity to have the third pick to to mock in our draft, and I went with Trey Lance. Um, I'm really interested in knowing where you think. Um, the San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, what they end up doing at the third pick. And maybe like a secondary question I'd love you to answer um, is I think uh, after talking with a couple of different people, I- I've yet to really find anything close to what I would consider a consensus about who they traded up for. I- I've heard people say, and I probably believe these people that say, I don't think, I think San Francisco moved up knowing Zach Wilson was the number two pick, but not knowing exactly who they wanted to pick. I have a really hard time believing that any team moves up without having at least an idea of the player that they want, and maybe they're open to having another player surprise them. But I think this far in the process, if you're Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and you don't know who you're picking yet, you are in trouble. Um, so kind of just your thoughts on those two uh, those two facets there, the number three pick. It, Nate, I'll be honest. If they made that trade and they didn't know who they were going to take at that point, that's a fireball. Yeah, agreed. Like, <laughs> agreed. You, you better know who you're taking. You're, you're giving up two firsts and a third, which is a top 100 pick. If you don't know who you're going to pick when you when you give up that amount of draft capital, that's a major, major organizational failure. Now, I have I have asked what I feel like at this point is a couple dozen people. What they think, people around the league, and I think that the overall the overall feeling is, I don't know who do you like today, 
I mean, you know, Mac Jones, you hear it a lot. Is, is that what ends up happening? I don't know. To me, I just cannot imagine, and this is just a personal thing, like I just cannot imagine that you trade all that for Mac Jones. But I, I think that's kind of where, if you, if you sample 25 people in the league, I think 15 of them would say Mac Jones, and then maybe you get five and five on Lansing Fields. Um, I think they should take Fields, personally. I think Fields is a really good prospect who's kind of been muddled throughout this process. Um, I think he can really play. But look, no matter what with the 49ers, whoever they pick, they better be right. Because that's the kind of thing that if you're wrong, yeah. everybody's fired in two years. So we'll see how it sticks. If they've had some very good drafts in the past, they've also had some drafts that had Solomon Thomas and Ruben Foster in the first round. So <laughs> right. we're going to find out. Yeah, man, I totally agree. I think obviously the number three pick is, I think, where the draft starts. Um, yeah. I think it's you know pretty well known that Lawrence and, and and Wilson are going one two, and and that's sort of where the draft starts. I'm I, I made this comparison yesterday. I felt like remarkably surprised. Like maybe the most surprised I'd ever been about the draft when the Jaguars picked Blake Bortles. Um, you know, whatever it was seven years ago, and I would yep. feel equally surprised even now hearing all the people that I respect and I follow that are, like, really plugged in, all refusing to move off Mac Jones at three. Even knowing that, I would be, like, notably surprised to see Mac Jones at three. I feel like that's a completely fair way to look at it. And I talk to people in the league from my job every day, and I walk away from it saying, if they take Mac Jones at three, I just don't know. I don't know how you can look at that and say, there's a lot of upside. And maybe we're all just missing the boat. Maybe, maybe Matt yeah. Jones turns out to just be – look, I always believe that the draft, people find themselves – they think they're way smarter than they are, and that includes all of us. Like, everybody last year thought Justin Herbert was a ridiculous reach. Turns out he was pretty good. Yeah, right. Everybody thought Tua was just – how could you pass on Tua? How could you pass on Tua? Tua was not good last year. Like, maybe he turns out to be good – he was not good. They were actively benching him for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay? And, and, and obviously, people in Buffalo remember Week 17, which was one of the bigger calamities yeah. any team had all last year. So, you know, who knows? At this time last year, everybody saw, of course you'd take Tua over Herbert. I mean, Herbert would go number one overall now in yeah, that draft. Right. So, you never know with this stuff. Who knows? Maybe Mac Jones comes out, and he's just, he's just phenomenal. And he's really, really good. And the Niners last years on end or maybe you know what everybody was right and he was surrounded by a million first round picks and he's not mobile and he comes out and he just can't handle it without superior talent around him and trey lance or justin fields or both of them go on to have just phenomenal careers and you say my god how the heck did the niners pull a trubisky like how did they do that how did they miss on watson and mahomes so to speak so we'll see what happens but i think it's when you ask people around the league, there's kind of th- that feeling of like, I think if I had to pick, it's going to be Mac Jones, but I, I don't, I won't believe it until Mac Jones is actually called at number three overall. I'm right there with you, man. I, I think that's probably that's a great way to sort of describe uh, and cap what is I think going to be a super interesting conversation about what ends up happening. I assume they go the route of Fields or Lance, and we, they don't give us uh, you know like any hot things to talk about. That, and I'm hoping that's the case for them. But uh, Matt, appreciate you, brother. Thanks so much for the insight. Thanks for coming on and uh, and sharing some things with us about the draft and uh, and obviously the, this trade that went down yesterday. We'll always appreciate it. Um, enjoy the draft next week, and we'll uh, we'll have you on again soon, man. Really appreciate it. 
Thanks a lot. Take care. Awesome, brother. Uh, Matt Verderam there of Fansided and um, uh, In the Box, right? Hold on. I want to make sure I get his his podcast right because it's a great podcast if you haven't checked it out. Uh, It is Stacking the Box, and that's uh, you can find that on, you know, wherever else you get your your podcasts. what, iTunes, podcasts, uh, Spotify, there are other, all, all those good spots. So I'm going to take a quick time out of the side. John Ledger, the Pewter Report, where he's going to join us next year on WGR. All right, we are officially at the halfway mark of Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome back, everybody. Talking lots of draft today, getting you prepared for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The Bills, obviously, will be picking 30th overall on Thursday night. That pick usually happens right around 11.30. But in the meantime, to lead you up that, I will go back to the Western Hotline because joining me now from the Pewter Report is John Ledyard. John, uh, good afternoon Good afternoon to you, man. Appreciate you making time for us. I know this is kind of the busy time. I know uh, any opportunity to get the hell away from draft talk – you're probably taking, but I appreciate you making some time for us to uh, to talk about it, man. Oh, absolutely! Don't uh, don't worry about it at all. I was uh, happy to make sure that it was able to happen because wouldn't be draft season if we didn't get on and talk draft at least once. So I'm looking forward to it. That's right, man. Uh, it's sort of a, a yearly rite of passage, and uh, you know, listen, I, I I've I've talked to a lot of people over the last two weeks and um, I I first wanted to sort of just get your quick thoughts on the trade that happened yesterday. I just had Matt Verderam a fan-sided. We we talked at length um, sort of about how we both felt that the Ravens really ended up the big loser in that and and that trade yesterday, strictly from just an, an asset management perspective, they end up trading the 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 player in the move, which is I, I think a really really good franchise left tackle. Um, and they also traded a second round pick, and in return they only get the thirty first overall pick. I know they they get a third and you know some some other stuff in there as well, but like mm-hmm. the two best picks, or, or I should say, I think the two of the three best pieces in that trade go to Kansas City your overall thoughts on kind of how that worked for the for the Ravens and and what you think they do now with two first round picks all the way at the end of the first well I think it was I don't want to say it was bad for Kansas City I do think it was good for Baltimore though because it wasn't like Orlando Brown staying was much of an option um trying to like pick my words here but if you are a good player that doesn't stick around in Baltimore you know, you fill in the blank, but I think you probably know where this is at. Like, there's, you know, there. I don't know. You just, you might be a little bit tough to work with. So, um, you know, not saying he isn't a good player. I think he's a good player. You know, I think that that's clear. You know, but Baltimore doesn't move on from people unless there's a problem. Um, let's just put it that way. So, hmm. you know, I don't think. And plus, he had expressed he wanted to play on the left side yep. and he wanted to play. You know, so I think that it was clear. You know that 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 was a desire of his, and that's you know the, the what he where his focus was, and they obviously paid Ronnie Stanley, and they want him to play on the left side. And Orlando Brown is clearly very interested in making the, the most amount of. He wants to be the highest paid tackle in the league, I believe. Uh, I don't think he's that type of talent for what it's worth. I think he's a good player. Um, some people are going to say he was overthought by some people going into the draft. I mean, I think he was still a good player. They shouldn't have overthought the athletic testing to that mm-hmm. degree, but he's also one of the biggest outliers ever. And in a pass-happy offense now in Kansas City, a group that's going to ask him to do much different stuff than Baltimore asked him to do, um, we're going to see. I mean, I think he's a good player for sure. Is he the type of player you want to make the, the highest-paid tackle in the league? Because that's what – a guy like that is going to want. I mean, that's what he's yeah. going. He's, he's getting out of Baltimore to get that type of money. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I think where I ultimately fell on not liking it for Baltimore, I think it was two pronged. Is 
I'm not really in the, I'm just not in the state of mind where I'm willing to give any asset to the Kansas City Chiefs. I think for them, the one team, they're the mountaintop. And, you know, say what you want about the Bills and the Titans and whoever else you want to sort of anoint in that fringe tier one group. The, the Chiefs are the one you have to beat to get over to get to the Super Bowl. So I just think anything that might potentially help them doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. So that's that's like kind of the first thing. And then the second part of this is, you know, we know that Baltimore, I totally agree with you too, by the way, that like if Baltimore's trading him, that front office is trading anybody, it, that should at least raise eyebrows, if nothing else, because they've mm-hmm. earned the benefit of the doubt. But I still look at it as... They had they had the leverage still. Like they still had a franchise tag under their belt, at least one or two. So just I think they have just as much leverage as Kansas City still has um, to keep him around, even if he wants that big money. So like I, I just didn't. I, I felt it felt a little quick on the trigger for them to move him. And maybe your point is it was so quick on the trigger because they were really maybe looking to get him out of there. Yeah, I think that was part of it. Also, he really wanted to play on the left side, and that was really it. Like, he wanted to play on the left side, period. You know, right. no bones right. about it, because he believed that if he played on the left side and had another good year, which he thinks he's going to have wherever he plays, then he's going to be the highest paid tackle in the league. And he'll certainly have, you know, the ability to – he'd be a guy that wouldn't shock me at all. I know we're way out, of, but if you try and tag him, he'd be a guy that doesn't surprise me if he holds out. And I just don't think Baltimore wanted to deal with the headache down the line. Like, of trying to like negotiate a contract with him when they already paid a tackle. So they moved now while the stock was at its highest, while they still had some leverage rather than get to a situation where he was like, I'm not playing for y'all unless you make me the highest paid tackle in the league. And then they were like, all right, now we have no leverage and right. we're getting close to the season. And that's where I think their mindset was at with the whole thing. Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair way to look at it too. I want to um I want to shift gears with you, John, here. And I want to start talking about a couple of prospects that I'd really kind of just love your overall take on. Um and I want to start it with a guy that has sort of made it's sort of been the talk of Bill's Twitter for, I think, the better part of 72 hours, maybe even a little bit more than that. It's Tulsa linebacker Zavin Collins, and I think for all of the wrong reasons people are talking about him. Um, I don't believe the Bills you know, make a move or draft Zavin Collins at 30 if he's the best player available, so be it. But I don't think they draft him with the thought that, like, they're going to move him into an off-ball linebacker position. And, and I think the only conversation you have is if the Bills just don't, they, they've totally soured on Tremaine Edmonds, and they're ready to move up. They're not going to sign his fifth-year option. This is his last year in Buffalo, and then he moves on, and Zavin Collins moves into the to the middle linebacker position. But, but John, at 270, um, I think if he walks into Buffalo, the first thing Brandon Bean is doing, if, if he's playing off-ball linebacker, is asking him to lose the 20 pounds he just gained. Like That would be the first thing they would ask him to do. I view Collins as, I think right now, I think what he's trying to say to teams is, I want to rush the passer. I want to play on the line of scrimmage. I want to be a four three or three four outside linebacker. Maybe a hand in the dirt four three defensive end. I think if the Bills are going Collins, they're projecting him as a Jerry Hughes conversion, a guy that is miscasted as an off ball linebacker that truly is a hand in the dirt four three guy. Would love your take on what you see him being in the NFL and maybe the best place for him. I think I'd ask him to lose 20 pounds no matter what position he's playing, <laughs> yes. to be honest. I, because, right. A, it's just too big. I mean, yeah. even 270 for uh, an edge defender in today's NFL is not – that's not where you want to be. So I'd ask him to lose 15 and 20 no matter what. Uh, and it doesn't mean that he isn't in good shape. I'm not trying to Agreed. say that. But Agreed. At some point, what did he do? He ran, four, I think, four sevens or something like that at his pro day. And that's a pro day number. So, I mean, at some point, I just want you to be fast. I don't care mm-hmm. if you're fast for your weight. Like, if you're playing off-ball linebacker, I just need you to be four or five speed. 
I don't need you to be 270. Oh, but he, you know, for his weight, that's a great time. Well, maybe so, but I don't. The, the 270 doesn't do anything for me at off-ball linebacker. Yeah. It really doesn't do anything for me at edge defender because he, two things that I need to see from him to see that he could play edge defender in the NFL. He'd need to be very physical, or just physical all the time. I and mean, you're always in a physical battle at edge defender. I mean, almost every snap, unless you're the unblocked guy and you know running zone, running away from you, you're getting, you're engaged in a physical battle every snap with a blocker, with somebody that you're trying to combat. You've got to have a different mindset when you're that way. It's not like that as a linebacker. You're playing in space a lot, or you're at the second level and you're clean. You're getting to a, uh, you know, sometimes certainly that happens at all positions. But he's not physical. He's just not that type of player. It doesn't mean that he isn't good. It doesn't mean that he's soft. It just means some guys want to bang every snap. Yeah. That's what they want to do. That's how they want to play. He is not that way. He is. I know that frustrates people because he's huge um, and he looks like he should be able to just destroy guards. He just doesn't play that way. He's probably one of the worst linebackers in this class at getting off of blocks. Now, is he smooth? I think he's smooth. I see instincts at times. Yes, he is ranged. There's no question about that. He definitely has a great feel and coverage for routes developing around him. Um, he doesn't. He is not a big hitter at all, uh, which, again, disappointing because he's huge. You'd love to see him blow somebody out. Just once. I think one time he like runs sideways and the quarterback scrambles, and he's like on a collision course in one of the games, and he, he like throws a shoulder at him kind of to tackle him, but he's just so big. And he's quick enough that, like, the science of it kind of knocks the quarterback back a little bit. But that's, like, the only big – I mean, he just, in a general basis, he approaches tackles even if he's going to carry, take down a ball carrier square, and he'll just wrap you up and drag you down. Like, mm-hmm. that's what he does. Now, he does that pretty well. He doesn't miss a ton of tackles. But, you know, I think he's a good player, no question. But I need to see him be physical, and I need to see him be explosive in his first two steps. If you're not a quick, twitchy, off the ball in your first couple steps – it's just hard. You know, it's hard to be an edge defender in today's NFL if you don't have that skill set, especially because you need to build everything else. So I need to know that he has at least those two base traits, and then we build everything else off of it. To me, he doesn't have those two base traits. I don't consider him an edge rusher at all. He, well, I know he went to 270. Agreed. Maybe teams told him to. Maybe he just decided. I don't know. He hasn't said that, I don't think, but maybe he decided on what his rationale is or what he's thinking. But I do think he's a good prospect. I don't think he's an edge defender. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I, 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 I think I viewed him as the only reason of the Bills, they, they, their justification for it isn't, hey, this kid is going to step in. We're going to run more 4-3. We're going to change fundamentally change the Sean McDermott defense that's been to a Super Bowl, that's been to an AFC Championship game. We're going to change that entirely for the guy we pick at 30. I just, that is not something I'm buying into at all, but that's kind of the talk that people want. And listen, I get it. It's I think we're all a little bored. I think we've, we've talked a lot about a pro- a lot about prospects, and you're getting to a position where you know, maybe you like Zavin Collins, maybe you just like his profile in the NFL, and you think, hey, he's just the best player available. Find a position on the defense for him and let him free. But I I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, and it's sort of what brings me to my next, uh, maybe the next two prospects I want to ask you about, John, and that's Eric Stokes and Asante Samuel Jr. And maybe trying to assess which of those guys fit better in the Bills defense with what you know what they do schematically. And here's sort of the caveat to this though is although I. I think if you're looking at both guys, one is very clearly a, a, a ready to go and play in the zone, and I think that's Eric Stokes from Georgia. And I think there's another guy that probably is going to be a little better set in a in a man scheme, which is um, Asante Samuel Jr. But if you're the Bills and you want to be able to play a little bit more man coverage next year, which <laughs> I would, by the way, um, I would like to see them be able to do that or just have the personnel to be more versatile. Well, then that's where the Asante Samuel maybe pick makes sense. But tell me a little bit and walk me through sort of the, the fit of Stokes and Samuel if that is either one of those guys or, or their pick at 30. 
Well, I think with Samuel, you're getting a very uh, one of the safer players. Probably you just don't know what the ceiling is. With Stokes, everybody's kind of hoped that there's this great ceiling. Obviously, he's super long arms. He's tall. He's big, you know, big corner, and he's got uh, great speed. Four, four, three, four guy, and he's just super explosive. Uh, can jump. Uh, not many corners of that length that can jump like that. Um, and I think everybody's going to be kind of attracted to that as an outside corner. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing, he just, you know, his tape, it's fine. It just hasn't ever looked dominant. You know what I mean? Like, you see guys like J.C. Horn and, 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 uh, and Patrick Zertain, and even just some of the same a lot of times, even though you know, yes, there's going to come a point where, like, you have to figure out how his size translates to the NFL. You know, Stokes has just never really looked like a, a dominant dominant player um and sometimes you wonder man are he even positioned to really get tested you know in in certain games and um i think that he's definitely a a good player but i think even his interception numbers are a little bit deceptive i mean those weren't really quality picks if you watch the tape it wasn't like he was making these unbelievable plays on the ball you know they were they were kind of blown situations by the offense so i think stokes just comes with more question marks obviously is all the tools that you want um, I just kind of wonder if that's ever going to be, if he's ever going to be the sum of his parts because he's played for a while now and mm-hmm. we haven't really seen a dominant player. I think everybody's in love with the profile physically and athletically, but I just wonder if it's ever going to translate to the field. Where Samuel, I think he kind of maybe is what he is and maybe Stokes is too, like I'm saying, but uh, Samuel is just kind of, there's going to be some physical limitations, but he will tackle. He's physical. He's tough. He moves really well. Like you said, he play he could play man. Absolutely. And, I mean, he can play his own, too. So, I mean, you kind of get the best of both worlds with Samuel. You're just not getting it quite in as big or athletic of a package. John Ledger here on the Western Hotline. We're talking a couple of draft prospects for the Bills at 30. One of the interesting ones that I I think it, it may actually end up being a decision that Brandon Bean has to make, John, and that's, you know, do we take the fifth edge rusher off the board or do we look at a guy like Christian Barmore from Alabama? And, uh, you know, I for me, I don't love it. Um, Three-tech is not... A position, I think would be a luxury pick for the Bills. I think they need to find ways to get more out of you and I have talked a lot about Ed Oliver on Twitter uh, back and mm-hmm. forth. I think they need more from Ed Oliver, and I think with Starlatule coming back, getting him on the field more with Starlatule should get him in better situations for pass rushing um, success. But I don't. I, I wouldn't love the Barmore pick, um, and you know I think because that takes snaps away from from um, from Ed Oliver. I don't really think he has the versatility to to maybe bump down and play a lot of one technique. I think Barmore is a is a three tech in the NFL. So tell me mm-hmm. a little bit about what you think um, if the Bills are sort of faced with do we go with a um, um, you know do we go with the fourth or fifth guy at edge? Is it Joe Tyron, who's again as maybe more, I view as more of a three four outside linebacker? Um, and, and and I don't know. Is it is it uh, Osai from Texas? Like I, I don't know if, if they're ultimately forced with picking the fourth or fifth edge rusher, or in this case maybe the top interior guy. What do you maybe trade off there? Yeah, I agree with you about Barmore. I think he's definitely just—he's very different than the other Bama guys we've seen come out in recent years. You know, I think that you when you're talking about Barmore, you're talking about a guy who right now rushes the passer better than his other things. That's very atypical of most of the Bama guys we've seen come out of defensive tackle over the years. You know, he's. Definitely a liability right now against the run to a degree, and I think he'll need some coaching. And just really, I mean, it's very mental and technical position defensive tackle, and I think the Bills have to understand that at some point here because they've, they've brought in a lot of guys who are, are very talented and, and raw, and we're still kind of waiting for them to develop somebody, right? Like, I mean, even Harrison Phillips tested well mm-hmm. at, you know, at, at the combine, and people thought, okay, like Harrison Phillips is a higher athletic ceiling than we thought. And it's just, you know, where's the guy that's Justin Zimmer and, you know, Vernon Butler and, at Oliver, of course, and, and so it's like, all right, now 
we haven't really made as much progress as maybe we hoped with these guys. You know, and they're all talented. I'm not saying any of them are bad, but we'd like to have made more progress. So at some point, let's get, let's wait and let's get like a more pro-ready guy. And that might be in round three. You know, it may not be the ceiling of an Ed Oliver or a Vern Butler or somebody like that, but it's a player we know can come in and help us, you know, or you start going the free agent route, whatever, you know. But, I mean, I think that that's, uh, that's something that they have to consider in, in terms of their own self-scouting. I do think that the, the most important things that the Bills can add in the first round are, are another corner mm-hmm. or a pass rusher. I mean, those, that's been kind of the every year we've kind of had that conversation. Like the, the other corner spot, it's good, but is it good enough? You know, like Levi Wallace can survive there, but can, you know, can we can we upgrade? Can we yeah. can we make this team a team that put you know is over the top? That's kind of was Tampa Bay's mindset all last year. That's what they tried to do in everything that they did, and that's where they need to be at. I mean, Kansas City's the competition, right? Buffalo knows that. Not saying there are other good teams, but that's the team you got to get by, and you got to be really really talented at pass rusher. Uh, the Bucks proved that. I think other teams yep. have proven that. You got to be really talented at pass rusher and really talented at corner and make a lot of plays if you want to be successful. So yes, an edge defender makes a lot of sense. The question is who's left? Is Queedy Peg gone? Is yeah. Aziz Ojolari gone? And is Jalen Phillips gone? If Jalen Phillips isn't gone, is it the off the field stuff? Do you feel comfortable with the fact that you know Jason Away is is this you know zero sack guy in seven games last year? That's where it gets tricky. It's easy to say it's a need, but then it's hard to say like, oh, I feel really confident in this guy at thirty because hard to feel confident in a lot of the edge rushers in this class. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me, John, I mean, I, I think I might be the conductor of the Tyler Shelvin high for, in round three if, if the Bills can can manage to get like that. That's the kind of one tech. Like for me, if you're going interior, I don't, I, I just, I just don't need a three tech right now. And that would be a very, that's a luxurious pick going three technique mm-hmm. at 30. I, I just think that's, when, when you hear Brandon Bean talk about the future, I think the future, the three tech's fine. I, I just, they got Butler, they've got Oliver, and they've got cost control on Oliver. Like, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. One tech, 100%. The last guy I wanted to ask you about, mm-hmm. well, I think the last group of guys I wanted to ask you about is this, this group of wide receivers that maybe fall outside of the top three, the Batemans, the Elijah Moores, the Randall Moores. Where do you – I, I loved your rankings, by the way. Your, your top four having Elijah Moore. Me and Joe Marino, we are big Elijah Moore fans at 30. I think that's the one home run hit the Bills could go and get. Um, obviously, Emmanuel Sanders, he comes over in free agency. He's a one-year guy, though. He's not going to likely be here longer than one-year guy. And, and frankly, John, mm-hmm. if I'm talking about a guy that – or two guys that maybe would be the best at getting the most out of Elijah Moore um, is Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. Allowing those two to be around more for a year, um, that maybe helps him in the one area maybe we're all concerned about him is the nuanced route running at the next level. I, I think those couldn't be, you couldn't handpick two guys to be better, um, you know, kind of chauffeurs for him in his early part of his career. What is your thoughts about the fit for the Bills and Elijah Moore? And do you maybe see somebody else that, uh, that could be in play at 30 for the Bills? Uh, that is, I mean, Osmore's awesome. That'd definitely be a good pick. I, I had not even thought about the Bills and wide receiver. I thought I agree with you about Emmanuel Sanders, and I know, you know long-term, it's like, all right, we've still got to consider our options. But that would be a wide receiver room for the agents. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Sanders, Beasley, Gabriel Davis, what we saw of him last year, looked like he'll be a future starter, top three guy. I know they play a lot of four wide receivers. Yep. That's in Buffalo, so having depth there is important. Isaiah Hodgins, I liked coming out, uh, you know, fourth round, like, uh, I've always liked McKenzie as a bottom of the roster type of guy. He gives you a lot, I think, for that that sixth receiver role or seventh receiver role. Um, so I love the group, and I'd love I mean, him being a part of it. Yeah, it's a great fit. I mean, talk about a guy that can get vertical from the slot and get vertical. He, he can win outside. Like I, 100 plus snaps there last year. I know that's not a ton, but I, I mean, Ole Miss offense. We know that they've, they've done a lot through the slot over the years, even as they've changed coordinators and coaches, but. Yeah, that is definitely not an. I mean, I watched a couple. I watched probably almost every game from last year from Elijah Moore, and 
I've watched him a ton over the years. He's been a favorite of mine for since the first time he really stepped on the field at Ole Miss. Um, I didn't know that his stock would eventually rise this high, but watching him this year and what he did against top corners, I mean, he and J.C. Orn was a great battle. I mean, he yeah. he really he won some reps. Uh, he really did, and that's a that's the most physical corner I've scouted since Ramsey. So, I mean, I, I really think that if he can beat that guy like that, he can win outside in the NFL. I don't have I don't have a lot of concerns with with his game, to be honest with you, Elijah Moore. I mean, he is. He's that talented. I know that he's not big, but watch how many combat catches he makes, how many times he gets rocked and holds on to the football. I mean, the dude, like, never drops the ball. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, I'm a huge fan of him. Will be a great fit in Buffalo, great fit long-term with Josh Allen, no doubt about that. There's other good guys, but to me, that's really – there's a break after those first three and Elijah Moore. Um, I really think there's a break there. I like Rashad Bateman. Mm-hmm. I like some things Rondell Moore brings to the table for sure. Um, I'm – there's clearly upside in Terrace Marshall that I recognize. He needs some polish. But, yeah, I think that uh, it falls off a little bit after Elijah Moore. John, appreciate you, brother. As always, love the insight. Thanks for uh, for helping us navigate uh, You know what has, I think, ultimately capping off as, I think, a, one of the most interesting draft cycles, even more than last mm-hmm. year. I mean, we're talking, I, and I've been saying this sort of in jest, but I, I, I genuinely believe this. This draft is going to prove the worth of a lot of scouting departments. I think this draft is going to be the most challenging for teams without a lot of good medical records, with, uh, I think, the smallest um, draft pool in recent memory. This is either it's going to make or break a lot of franchises so um you know kind of following your work and following the the guys that i respect on twitter and um and in the industry this is this has been a really challenging year i'm really looking forward to kind of the fruits of the labor that has gone in for the last several months so really enjoy your work brother as always you know that and uh, we look forward to having you on after the draft and we'll uh, we'll hash things out then Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Nate. Really appreciate it, man. My pleasure, as always. John Ledger there of Pewter Report on the Western Hotline. i got to take a time out. i got to get two breaks in here. Then we got Greg Thompson at a cover one coming up here on WGR.